The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. So that's a beautifully shaped pass for Sadio Mane, who scores the smoothest of goals. Absolutely delicious. Firmino's on a hat-trick now, of course. Cucho Hernandez couldn't keep it. Firmino, Salah. Salah, he wouldn't do it again, would he? Mo Salah has! Deja vu all over again. He twists a new set of blood. Just one minute to add on. Here's Nico Williams for Liverpool. And there's Firmino's hat-trick. Five on the road. Okay, so Mo is at it again. Jurgen says he's the best in the world, and who are we to argue with him? Uh, let's have another red agenda with a big focus on the main man, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill, alongside myself, Steve Hothersall. Uh, Kiva, Mo grabbing the headlines again, and why not with a goal like that? Two weeks on the run, absolutely audacious. Yeah, and I mean, before we even get on to his goal, I think it was the pass to. Mane for his 100th Premier League goal it just blew me away because the thing about that pass was as soon as he got the ball and the way Wofford was set up and Mane running in behind, straight away you knew there's a pass Salah is capable of making and you could almost like feel and envision him doing it just before he did it. I don't think there's many players in world football that you think they should play that pass or they they make you think that they can do that pass before they hit it, if that makes sense. So it just, that blew my mind in that moment. And then he just obviously did it, moment being the key word there. Um, and then obviously his goal, which is just, did we expect him to do it again? Probably because, you know, he is the best player in the world. And I do think against Man City, like that was incredible because of Man City's defence. I think they'd only conceded one goal going into that game. Um, in the Premier League. So to do that, to stand and sit down those players was just, you know, incredible. And then he does it at Wofford. And I mean, we know he likes a goal against Wofford. Liverpool tend to like goals against Wofford. And yeah, I just think um, he, he's untouchable right now. He's in just a, up there on his own, which is great because he deserves that, you know, after years of doing this for Liverpool. He doesn't really always, you know, we've been talking about him the whole time he's been here, but he just... He's, he's better now than he's ever been, which is absolutely frightening in a very good way. There's a bit of Peter Drury commentary, Si, where he says, he wouldn't do it again, would he? And then, of course, he scores. And it's, it's, it's the sheer audacity. Now, look, it's dead subjective, but which one for you is better? They're both ridiculously good. The City goal or the Watford goal? I've watched them back to back. I can't work it out. You gave me a bit of stick a few weeks ago, Steve, for sort of disagreeing with your your line of being <laughs> one of the greatest goals that Anfield has ever has ever witnessed. Obviously, that was in reference to the City goal, and I, and I, and I, I challenged that. Um, naturally, that that trans uh, translates onto Twitter. Is I said that it was it wasn't even a good goal, as some people have. Oh, you're watching your words now, aren't you? It obviously wasn't what I said in the first place. Um, I mean, I, I think there's. I do think that the goal against Watford was a more stylish goal, I would say, because he just made it look so easy. Whereas against City, 
I'm not saying he didn't make it look easy, but you could tell he had to work hard to create that that opportunity for himself. And he's obviously playing against a much better standard of player. The difference with Watford being is, I mean, they did try to stop him by sometimes putting as many as three markers on him at once. You know, throughout the first half, he was surrounded by Danny Rose, uh, Messina, who were both left-backs. So he started with two left-backs on the pitch to try and stop him. And then they had a left-footed centre-half who was, who was often going out to help as well in Craig Cathcart. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed the Watford goal uh, in terms of the way it looked more because it was just so effortless almost. You know, he just sort of made it look very, very easy. Whereas the City goal um, was, a much, was, was, was a bit more of a frenetic goal. You know, he had to twist, turn quickly, quickly and then get his shot away, which was blasted in past the goalkeeper. This finish was just... You know, majestic. He looks like he's poetically dancing, doesn't yeah, he, Sai? Yeah. He made he made, just made it look so easy, really. Which I think there's a there's a screenshot, isn't it, doing the rounds on on social media of him surrounded by all these players and people saying, you know, how does this end up in a goal a couple of seconds later? I, I think it just, what it just really does illustrate is just his development as a player more than anything else. I mean, we weren't seeing that sort of skill. Um, um, level of calm, I would say, a couple of years ago. I, we've said it so many times. I think he's a, a much more rounded player now. Um, sees spaces where other people don't see spaces, sees opportunity where maybe others might might think about making a more of a conservative pass. But he, he was, I mean, he was, it wasn't just his goals or assists. I just thought that his performance was on another planet um, against Watford's. Who obviously there does need to be that contact. Watford obviously, um, I would imagine are going to be struggling against relegation this season, um, and they weren't up to speed. But Liverpool's performance was 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 excellent on Saturday, and Salah was just um, within that performance, absolutely brilliant himself. Kiefer, when we did the the red agenda a week ago with with John Achterberg and Pep Linders, sort of posed the question: How do you stop? Salah, if you if you're the opposition defence or goalkeeper, and you know John didn't elaborate too much, but the, the the reality is because he keeps he keeps doing it again and again. Teams don't have an answer for this. Yeah, well, I was just thinking then once I was chatting the remember after his first season he scored obviously was it like forty four goals or something ridiculous in all competitions. And then he sort of obviously naturally dropped off a little bit, still scoring quite a lot of goals. But everyone was like, oh, you know. Um, Defenders are like aware of him now. They sort of they've worked him out, and I feel like now we're seeing Salah has gone through a whole process of being worked out, and now developing and pushing himself in a different direction. Almost like he's worked out that they've worked him out, and he's now sort of at a whole new level, which is you know what the best players do. They keep evolving. Um, so I mean. I mean, that whole sentence I've just said is just completely bonkers to feel like a player. It's like He's like a transformer almost. He just keeps adding new things to his game. And obviously, you know, the amount of goals he scored and that experience, it's becoming routine again. And I mean, it always has been routine while he's been at Liverpool, but it's becoming routine in a relentless way, a way that no one can stop it, even, you know, even if they try. You're not getting the ball off him. Um, you know, we know he likes to sort of Kill the shots over on his left foot into that far corner. He does that every game. He does it quite a bit. 
but there's no stopping it still. There's nothing, you know, I think Ben Foster said after the game, you know, there's nothing really you can do. Like, he he, he was watching. He was just a spectator like the rest of us, you know. Um, and I think that'll happen again and again this season. Absolutely. I mean, if we're talking about comparisons of, of seasons and, like, Kiva, you've mentioned that incredible season he had when he got over 40. Um we're, are we looking at something, Cy, that could be an absolutely remarkable record-breaking campaign for him? And, I, and I've seen stuff on social media saying he's maybe going to get close to the the form of 2013-14 that Luis Suarez was showing. Well, I think, I mean, certainly the goal that he scored this season have reminded me of, of Suarez, um, where he used to get the ball and be in a position where you know, the goal sometimes was out of sight and then suddenly he was in front of it by hook or by crook. He'd, he managed to fashion an opportunity for himself. Um, and I, as Kiva suggested there, I think his game has has evolved as he's been at Liverpool that first season. A lot of his... Maybe, maybe I'm being unfair, but it did seem like a lot of his goals were sort of um, around the pace that he had in his game. I think since then we've seen different sides to him. I think over two or three seasons, he became much better with his back to goal. I think that's a really underrated part of Salah's game. Um, when he gets the ball and his back to goal and keep shielding defenders off, he's a much stronger player than I think people think. And I think that's again sort of feeding into the, maybe the Suarez comparison that he was such a, a strong player and a ferocious competitor. It was impossible to get the ball off him at times. And I think... This season, though, where Salah has seems to have lifted to another level is in those tight spaces and his passing as well, which was illustrative of the um, the assist to, to to Mane for his first goal. I, I, we weren't seeing that sort of even level of confidence in in his in his play when he scored um, all the goals in his first season. I, I think he's even more confident now than he was then. It seems to me, just in terms of his all-round game, everything that he's tr- he's trying, it, it's not just coming off. It looks like, um, I hate using that term, it's coming off because it sounds like, you know, slightly speculative. But I think now he's just in a much better place in terms of his, all, his all-round game. Um, I mean, in terms of the, the, the number of goals that he could score and the influence that he could have, com- comparisons with 2014, I, I suppose... A lot of it will depend on how Liverpool perform in cup competitions as well. I mean, they've obviously started off really well in the Champions League. Um, I think he could get another 30-plus season quite quite easily, the way he's playing. I think his assists could be a lot higher as well. Um, depends if some of the players around him finish their chances. But the, the front three or four at the moment are absolutely on fire, aren't they? I mean... People might say Mane's performances hasn't been, haven't been good, but he keeps scoring goals, doesn't he? Every every week it seems he's been his finishing's been excellent. Um, obviously, Firmino gets a hat trick, so I think any sometimes you hear managers say, "Oh well, I, I don't really care who scores the goals," but I think deep down you want your forward scoring the goals because when that happens, it it just gives the rest of the team that belief that that um that, that you're going to be able to get a result. I think when you've got three players scoring goals. Um, like they did on Saturday, I think it's very rare that, that you'll have all three of those players out of form on the same day. I think it, it, it's very rare that that happens. So Liverpool can can reach that point. I, ju- I just think it's going to put them in such a good place. Um, 
I'm the one who's talking about Liverpool really as title contenders at the start of the season. I, I, I think I, I did think, I hope that I verbalised it at some point to, um, before the season started on this podcast. I, I, I thought they, they really did have a good chance if they have, you know, stay, stay clear of injuries. What I didn't foresee is, is Salah's performances going to this level. And I think when you've got a player, a very good team, let's not forget behind him, an excellent team, um, when you've got a very good team performing well and then a player maybe stepping outside of that and becoming sort of the reference point to the team and, and, and delivering this sort of performance and number of goals. And I just think it's going to be very difficult to stop Liverpool at, at this rate because you know what they like when they get the rhythm. Um so he will give Liverpool, I, I think Liverpool fans, hope that it could, it could be an excellent season for Liverpool. Um, you know, there will be bumps along the way, I'm, I'm sure. You know, they, they've, they've obviously had a couple of dis- disappointing results. You would say you should have beaten Brentford, but um, and probably should have beaten Chelsea with the advantage that they had. But I think if they carry on like this and Salah keeps performing, I think anything can happen. Sometimes, Kiva, it's the reaction of, of teammates which show you the greatness of, a, of an individual. And you only had to look at Trent and the way he responded to Salah's goal, which sort of... T- Trent, Trent was all of us, wasn't he? While he was looking at that Salah goal and afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Joel Matter was against Man City, wasn't he, with his hands on his head, just like, what the hell are we watching? Um, the camera panned to Klopp as well, and he'd done the same, which has become just a great meme for all of us to use now forevermore. Um, Pep Linders' face as well as, you know, he was just the shock. It was kind of like Jota as well on the bench. All the players are just like, they must be like, this lad is ridiculous. You know, he's done it a couple of weeks ago. He's done it again now. Um, yeah, so, well, Trent, we know he's a fan anyway. So sometimes Mo Salah affords players like Trent a moment of just pure supporter. Like, he was a fan there. He could have might as well have been in the away end, you know, Um and a word for Bobby Firmino too, because I mean, Salah didn't even flinch at his, his kung fu kick, did he? Which like it's like the players are just used to Bobby Firmino celebrating goals in the maddest way that he doesn't even come into their vision. Um, yeah, just incredible. And there's a great video Liverpool put out this morning of you know the away end as that goal goes in, and it's sort of like all the fans sort of lean forward, and then it just obviously erupts into. Bedlam and that you know to be there and witness that what what a special moment for Liverpool supporters, um it's yeah gonna continue to be a special season for Salah and for Liverpool you know you you think when you think back to the the season Liverpool won the league, um 2019-20 Salah only scored 19 goals in the league that was his lowest like so far at, at Liverpool I think he didn't score much more elsewhere you know it was a, a drop off compared to those seasons before. Is twenty three in all comps, so it wasn't you know a high scoring season yet. Liverpool won the league. You know he's already scored seven now. He's got three in Europe. You know he he's got ten goals for the season. He's gonna definitely add to that, which I think bodes well for Liverpool. If you just look at his numbers, I think they almost suggest that Liverpool could go and do something quite incredible and something that we all you know hope happens, which is winning a twentieth title. Absolutely. Well, we'll go to Bobby's hat-trick in just a second. I'm just interested to know, Sai, how how did you react when Salah scored? Did you did you sort of laugh with sheer audacity and go, 
Oh, that's just stupid. Was it was it a different reaction to maybe the City goal a couple of weeks yeah, ago? I think the City one, I mean, I, I was in different places, obviously, for, for each game. So I was at Anfield in the stand just there um, as a fan for the City game. And that was just like an emotional release, I think, just because of the magnitude of the game. But obviously Liverpool were, were pretty pretty much well in control of the Watford game. And, and, and I thought we are going to cruise towards victory. So it was sort of one of those open mouthed moments, you know, like a, a villager seeing an aeroplane through the sky <laughs> for the third time. Um, what, what, what I thought, uh, sorry if there's any villagers listening, um, one of the telling things was that I was actually watching the game. Uh, I watched the game for the first time, I reckon in about 15 to 20 years in the pub. But I don't like watching football matches in the pub just because they're the amount of um, comments that you get, and, and I find it quite frustrating. But I, I was sitting there with, uh, funny enough, uh, a couple of lads who, some of them are Liverpoolians, one of them is an Evertonian, I was sitting next to an Evertonian. I won't mention his name, but even he was like, oh my God, like, what has he just done? You know, it's like, just could not believe what he'd just seen. He, he, he actually, his words were, he said, uh, he's, he's going to end up being remembered as one of the, the, the greatest Premier League players, if not the greatest Premier League player for Liverpool, which he wasn't saying that just to, to be nice. He, he's not a particularly nice person <laughs> most of the time. So uh, he was he was trying, he was he was saying you know just that sometimes you, you know you need to listen to other people who aren't as uh, I suppose invested in in what's going on at Liverpool to realise what level you're at. And um, yeah, I mean it, it was it was just uh, just one of those. It's just open mouth and. When the ball hit the back of the net, um, I think there was like a semi-silence for a moment, sort of taking it, taking it all in because it's not the sort of goal you see you see every season. Right. In case uh, Simon's never mentioned it before, there's a great piece on the Athletic uh, retracing Mo Salah's uh, early life and uh, his footballing roots. Si went over to Egypt, but I'm sure you know all about that. Well, just just about get online and have a look. No, it is great. But we always mention it, but it's worth going back to. Uh, Kiva, let's go to Bobby Firmino. So nine goals in 48 last season, but six in seven this season. There's a reborn character there. I think Bobby Firmino has always been a good footballer and he probably, I mean, it, it's difficult being the forward of in between Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah because you, they're obviously going to score a high amount of goals and the work he does feeds them. You know, he drops into space, he drops out of space, holds up the ball, will give them the ball instead of shooting a lot of the times, you know, Um so I don't think there's ever been a worry among Liverpool supporters that Bobby Firmino isn't good enough. You know, when those records were, you know, he'd gone so long without a goal at Anfield and so long without a goal away from home or whatever it was. You know, I don't think Liverpool fans deep down were ever really worried about Bobby Firmino because of the work he does, the pressing he does. You know, he's been one of the first players really to be key to that and to Klopp's success. You know, he was there from from the first day Klopp walked in and, you know, he, he helped with, you know, getting Klopp's ideology imprinted on this team. And, you know, I think Klopp's always been um, grateful for him and for his performances. I just think sometimes, you know, if he doesn't score a goal and he's, you know, got the number nine on a share, people can be a bit like, what's he doing? Um, but I don't know, this season I had a feel. I always have a feeling for Firmino anyway before the season kicks off. But I just feel like, you know, Maybe the rest with Jota coming in a lot more can actually help him. And then the games that he does feature in, it's almost like he'll be 
more energized for it, more rested. And, you know, you've seen that with obviously having that rest in the, the build-up to this game that, you know, he scored a very dear couch sort of hanging around hat-trick, didn't he? Which I absolutely <laughs> loved. And I feel like, you know, Liverpool fans have probably been worried a bit about the lack of maybe a, a new attacking player um, in the summer. But when you think about it, if they have those three and Diogo Jota as well, Maybe, you know, you do think Origi could chip in here and there and other players on the periphery. But I think Firmino is such a crucial player for Liverpool and has been for such a long time. And, you know, it wouldn't, I don't think it would shock anyone if he has a, a run in the team and almost keeps Jota out, which is mad because Jota, you know, is, as we know, an incredible footballer and someone who's just brought in a new lease of life to this already incredible attack. Uh, so, yeah, I think Firmino is, is definitely. I don't think he's ever been overlooked or underrated by Jurgen Klopp and certainly not Liverpool fans. But it's it's kind of similar to like Joel Matip, how you know, the rest of the league would maybe not look at him as one of the top defenders. It's kind of the same, I think, for Firmino. But, you know, we need to put respect on his name. He scores plenty of goals for Liverpool and, you know, his work on and off the ball is tremendous. And he's got a great smile and he always celebrates goals in the most euphoric and fun way. Um, I think it's for his first goal, sort of, you know, he'd the little dance that he did was just, he just brings joy. Those Brazilian hips. Um, he, he possibly has got a uh, an even closer to goal hat-trick than Dirk Kout. You mentioned it there, obviously, Kout's against Manchester United. Si, with this one, do, do you call it like a dirty hat-trick? <laughs> it's a proper goal poacher's one, isn't it? I think it's a great hat-trick, that. I mean, you've got to give, you've got to give the team around him for what, you know, you usually... People sort of credit Firmino for the, all the graft and hard work and making it easier for other players. But I think on this occasion, you know, it was, the, it was sort of the, the players around him and obviously his sense of anticipation, um, knowing where the ball was going to fall, um, that, that allowed him to score that hat trick. And you know, there was, I mean, I, I think the last the, the hat trick goal was great movement. It was good movement from from him, very quick. To sort of pounce and, and steer the ball into the back of the net, but um, yeah, I think if you're a centre forwards and you, you've got three tappings, you, you're going to be absolutely delighted. Um, so it was. I mean, I think Liverpool did that. It must have. It must have been a tactic, you know, of clocks. They must have seen some sort of weakness in certain areas to 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 be able to manufacture three opportunities that were quite similar. Um, you know, sort of getting towards the touchline and then. Almost square, you know, square pass. It's something they they, they, they practice a lot, you know, in the pre-match warm-up. Um, you know, Liverpool they very rarely put a, a cross high into the box. It's usually a low, a low cross with the hope that that somebody's um, going to be running onto it from a sort of a reverse position. So um, on that day, it came off three times. I, I don't know whether anybody asked Jurgen Klopp whether it was sort of a um, an area of the pitch they, they tried to target. It, it's funny with Klopp because if you ask him a tactical, he, he always complains about not being asked tactical questions. And when you do ask him, he doesn't want to give anything away. So you can't win with him sometimes. But um, but yeah, his his performance overall was was very good. Anyway, it was just a great a great Liverpool performance. I really enjoyed sort of the uh, the freedom um, with which the the all plays. I just thought it was a. You could just tell. I mean, I, I said to somebody sitting next to me when. Um, Virgil van Dijk got the ball about 90 seconds into the game and hit one of those golf shots like you, Steve, over at Hoylake. 
uh, right across the pitch to Salah, hit him right on the money. When he does that, you know Liverpool are going to play well. I think I've said it quite a few times, but you just know as soon as Van Dijk plays that pass, it just seems to give everybody a lift almost. Like Again, it goes back to the importance of Van Dijk. I mean, we probably won't talk about him, but because he wasn't under pressure a great deal. Um, but just that, 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 that ability to do that, it just... There's not, there's no other centre half in in world football who who does that as regularly as him, and I, th- I just think when he does it, the Liverpool t- it just settles the team down straight away. Um, and he did it on Saturday. I mean, you you both alluded to it, but I I just feel so confident about this side at the moment, and despite. Some selection dilemmas Kiva face this season. It might be like Quivine Kelleher coming in at the weekend. Um, Jurgen and the squad, they, they've navigated this all perfectly. I mean, Quivine's a great example. He, he was outstanding. You, you don't even worry about the fact that he's actually coming in to replace Alisson now. Yeah, I think when he played more recently, I remember tweeting, it might have been last season, did he play against Wolves or something like that? I remember tweeting at the time, like you don't, you don't worry about him, and I think that's the best compliment you can pay him. You're not really looking back or thinking, oh, God, if, if Wofford get a corner, what's he going to be like? You don't have that with uh, Quivine Kelleher. You just, you know, he's, I think I tweeted that he's right out of Alison's school of goalkeeping, and, you know, you can almost tell that he's training alongside one of the best goalkeepers in the world every day. Um, because, you know, it's obviously enhancing his game. And, you know, I've I've seen him have worse games at the academy, to be honest. Um, in the last season, I think Man City's under-23s, I think maybe scored about six past him and it wasn't a great day for him. But, you know, I think when he plays for Liverpool and, you know, that was that was just a, a random scoreline. Sometimes those academy games can just be frenetic and high score and a bit crazy. I think Liverpool got three themselves that day. Um, you know, but when he puts on the you know the big boy the Liverpool shirt and he's for the first team it just it doesn't like look like he's out of place obviously he started for for Ireland in in the international break which you know was a massive honour and achievement for him and then you know he comes into Liverpool's team and there wasn't really any worry around it you know everyone was like Alisson and Fabinho can't play and it was just like Kelleher will play and you know we know coming into this season and maybe last season too that he was second choice you know, he's a 22-year-old kid, really, and he's coming in and just looking as calm as he did. I think that save probably didn't get enough credit that he made late on. Um, you know, because that could have been Liverpool could have been just having one of those days where they're winning one nil, and that's you know a vital save. Um, but you know they were five nil up, I think, at that point. So you know he probably didn't get enough plaudits, but he's a great young stopper, and I think the work he's done with John Achterberg and you know um, Jack Robinson and and just he just looks he looks really professional and a lot older than he comes across because he's almost got a bit of a baby face still hasn't he and you think you know is he going to be scary for for opposition players like Allison is almost like this you know monster running out at them but he's exactly the same he just gives off that energy you know you see him with his his penalty heroics against Norwich he's he's got something special about him and I think you know that bodes really well for Liverpool that they don't have to worry too much when Allison does have an injury or you know is unable to play for some reason because they've they've got a, a, a goalkeeper there who's 
you know, maybe would be tested a little bit more on other days. And it was probably a great game for him, really, because, you know, he wasn't going to be too much under pressure from Wofford, who, I mean, they hardly touched the ball. I think in the first 20 minutes, they'd had 19 passes. So there was more minutes on the clock than passes they'd strung together, which I think speaks of the job Ranieri's got on his hands. But this is not the Watford podcast, so we'll we'll let them worry about that. Um yeah, so just an incredible young goalkeeper with, you know, a lot of potential, a lot more experience needed for him to, you know, be there. But he's Liverpool's undisputed number two, which is, you know, every respect for him for putting himself into that position. So a good day all round at Vicarage Road, unless, sight you're Paddy the Baddy, the UFC fighter, the Liverpool fighter who filmed himself, put it on Instagram. Uh, him and his mates got chucked out for celebrating the Liverpool goal. Now, I'm, I'm presuming they were with the Watford fans. We 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 see fans mixed all the time. Now, if, if fans aren't causing any trouble but are just celebrating a goal, what's your perspective? Should they be chucked out of a of an away ground? I've seen it at a lot of grounds. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the last one, I remember Newcastle, I think this, this season, Liverpool missed out on a title to City. Uh, second to last game of the season, there were so many Liverpool fans in St James's Park that day, dotted about, obviously celebrating um, the goals as they were going in, particularly the, the last one in, in injury time. And I remember they saw some guys getting chucked out then. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think it says more about like sort of the, the the fans of the home team really than it does maybe about the, the actions of people who want to celebrate and enjoy their teams. Performance. I mean, it does seem strikingly strike me as particularly odd. Watford. It's not like there's a big rivalry between Liverpool and Watford, is there? Really? Um, I mean, I, I would urge caution anybody sort of thinking about celebrating goals if it's Liverpool, Man United, or even Everton. To some extent, you've got to show a bit of common sense. But Liverpool, Watford. I don't see why celebrating a Liverpool goal in the Watford end would would upset people. Without, you know, I suppose no exact, exactly what's happened, but you wouldn't want to mess with, with Paddy the Baddy, would you? The form that he's been on. <laughs> um, and then poor Paddy went to the pub. Yeah. And got thrown out of the pub as well. So, when, so um oh, did, oh right, well that's not right. So what um what what minute did he get thrown out the ground? What goal was it? Well, I, I don't know which goal Kiva, do you know this? What what goal it was or No, I haven't even seen the video, to be honest. I think we'll all be going to, to check that out now. But it is I think do you think maybe because it was quite quiet at Watford so you would have stood out like a sore thumb I think celebrating I mean it's always going to be quiet when you know an opposition team scores a goal um, unless there's just fury so I think you know there would have been probably around the ground um, I think the, the camera panned to two young lads and one of them was wearing a Liverpool shirt in the, the home end anyway but it, I think I remember my first ever game was um, the Lee Carsley derby at Goodison Park. I remember having had the tracky on. I must have been, I don't know what year that was. And my uncle had took me, and I must have been however old. I'm not sure what year it was. And I had like the. It must have been like two, it was the 2005 season, wasn't it? Because I had the yellow away kit on underneath me me tracky jacket. So I'd like zip that up, and he was like, "Don't let anyone see that." Like sort of joking with me. Um, and I remember being scared the whole game. Like, I can't let anyone know that I'm a fan. Um, obviously, the, the derby's a little bit different. Um, and then I remember coming out the ground, actually, and my Uncle Nipper was like, 
do you want an Everton scarf now? Because yeah. we just won the derby there, 1-0. Do you want to change allegiance? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've known from that early age that you, you don't celebrate in the away end. But sometimes you you just let go, don't you, I guess? It is strange, oh, don't you? Can't the football, it can't you know, be that. It's... When you think about football in the way it was, you know, when you talk about football in the 1980s and stadiums being particularly intimidating, violent places... There were all sorts of pictures of fans mingling at certain times. Maybe I'm looking back on it without without thinking of all the context around it. But it seems now the sort of the segregation elements of football um, and the lack of sort of accepting that other people are going to be happy when they score a goal, um, you know, is is um, it's, it's become more of a like divided sport, hasn't it? I think than it probably was previously. Anyway. I, I think it's it's bizarre. You could go to any Premier League game and see shirts of either team sat together in the ground. But when a goal is scored, there's something different yeah. about that moment as opposed to just wearing the shirt side. It's a whole point of the game, isn't it? See, I mean, there have been games when I've been in um, sort of enemy territory. Um, I've, I've sort of thought, well, if a goal goes, I have, to, I have to put my hands under my legs to stop me from jumping up. Um it's very hard to do so, particularly if you're surrounded by mates who all want to do the same thing. Um, yeah, people just need to to get a grip of themselves and realise that if, if fans celebrate a goal, you know it's it's football's meant to be you know a joyous sport, isn't it? Um, people are just very angry, aren't they? You know, generally. I I love the fact that your uncle's called Nipper Kiva. That's yeah, honestly, I couldn't tell you his real name. Hasn't everyone got an uncle Nipper? I'm just actually his name is Stephen. So on birthday cards, my auntie Kathy will write Stephen. I'm when I was a kid, I was like, who the hell is Stephen? Didn't know who he was. <laughs> Nipper. Uh, right, let's finish off with a great piece you've done on the Athletic uh, at the moment. And um, you went down and met Jordan Henderson. And uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kiva, and it's a piece called Reunited. They've got them back together with their childhood coaches. So Sean Turnbull travelled from Sunderland. He was connected to Jordan when he was about 10. And Ian Barrigan, uh, the man who brought Trent through, was there as as well. Um, something quite emotional about that. Did, did you feel it? Yeah, it was really emotional. I think it was just, you know, a nice experience for me and like a double hit of are you going to be interviewing Jordan Henderson and Trent Alexander-Arnold for the first time at the same time? So it was quite, you know, a little bit overwhelming for me, but really enjoyed it. And um, when Sean Turnbull, who was um, one of Henderson's first coaches of Fullwell Juniors, walked in, you know, he was all like shaking and I thought, well, he's nervous, so I better rein it in here. Um, You know, we just, me and him had a nice little chat. I was speaking through, you know, what kind of questions I was going to be asking. I was like, you know, it's going to be just, nice to be used to see each other um, and then yeah so then Ian Barrigan Trent who scouted Trent uh, well he, he played for his under sevens team at Country Park um, so they're already pretty close you know Trent has given them tickets to the Champions League finals and stuff like that their families are you know are, are very well connected and you know they go to each other's parties and that kind of thing so you know they see a lot of each other anyway so it was kind of a nice sort of contrast of Henderson hasn't seen this fella for like 15 20 years properly and then you know Trent's easy and every every other week and you know obviously Ian works at the academy so he'd tend to see him a lot more and um, so you know when when Ian walked in Trent was like oh hey what's he doing here like he loves the screen time and then you know then Henderson sort of was reunited with with Sean and they were just you know 
um, yeah, it, that was just nice to see. And they sort of, their accents went like thick very quickly. And I was kind of like, sort of how scousers are when they sort of get together and the accent goes quicker and faster. And you sort of, I was struggling to keep up a little bit. Um, but yeah, just really nice to see. Nice experience, I think, for everyone. And, you know, just to throw it back, I think. And, you know, we kind of forget like how, you know, these players have made it from, you know, like Trent's come from the Walton and Kirkdale League to, you know, winning the Champions League and the Premier League with Liverpool. And the same goes for Henderson at Fullwell Juniors to, you know, captain in England at, at the time he did. And obviously Liverpool's captain. And yeah, just nice to reconnect with those people um, in partnership with BT Sport. So obviously James had done the Harvey Elliott one. Um, so, yeah, I was assigned to this and just, yeah, a really lovely emotional experience and just nice to, to be there and be part of it. There's some really good banter in the in the interview. One thing that stood out to me, John Henderson asks, was Trent always a bad loser? And I, I get the sense that all professional footballers are just terrible losers, Kiva. Yeah, well, he, he asked that because I think... And um, he sort of just cut across to ask it because Trent had said something about his crossing or something like that. So Hendo was having absolutely none of it and just cut across him straight away and asked Ian, is he a bad loser? And he was like, terrible, like awful loser. But I think, you know, a lot of players are super competitive and being a bad loser can often make a good winner. So, you know, Ian was then joking that when he's scouting for Liverpool's pre-academy years, he'll, he looks for bad losers, you know, um, and... and because obviously Trent was one. Um, but yeah, I think some players just are, aren't they? And have that. I remember those stories of like, was it like Ronaldo not wanting to lose table tennis or something? So he went away and like become this, you know, don at a table tennis. And I feel like that just, you know, I think is the energy you kind of want from people. But I, by the sound of it, Trent has not become any kind of don at table tennis and he's still getting beat by people and he's still getting in, in pretty bad moods after. So, yeah, no, it was nice to sort of see them to interact, actually, and, you know, how close um, Jordan and Trent are and that for that to come across as well because, I, you know, I didn't expect, I thought it was all going to be about being, you know, reconnected with their, you know, first coaches, but to see their sort of banter and relationship was really nice. You know, you can tell that the there's a real, like, a real love there between them and, uh, yeah, just, yeah, just really good to see. Sai, who would you be reunited with that would uh, stand out as creating your dynamic football career? <laughs> um, you're talking about personal friends. <laughs> Who made you the man you are now, Si? Now, that's a really, really difficult question. Um, well, that'll, that'll be on a podcast to come. That's on the next BT series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, the, the dynamic between the two of those, um, those two was genuine, though. You can you can tell it. One thing I like about this Liverpool team is, which I think is possibly different to some of the teams in the past, um, dare I say, you know, sort of, you know, the, the, the period even when Rafa sort of took over and there was so much change in the team and everybody saw each other really as a competitor. Um, I think now, like, the teams are a lot, lot more closer than it, it, it possibly was in the past. And you can see that, by the way, they sort of speak to each other, the players. They're obviously quite comfortable talking about the little things that wind them up and... Um, their insecurities almost and the, the imperfections and 
I think it's always a good sign that because um, that I didn't really realise that Trent was such a a, a, a bad lose. I would have suspected that, that, that Jordan would have been one of the worst ones for that. Um, so yeah, I think I think it again. It's just I don't think it's it's obviously not Kiva was there. It's, it's not it's not for show. It's it's because that's the way it is. The relationship with him. You see the same sort of thing with with Andy Robertson when he's involved and, and James Milner to some extent, and then um, you know a lot of the other sort of players obviously have similar dynamics. We used to see it with Salah and and Lovren sort of taking the Mickey out of each other. I just think it. You know, it's good to see that that they obviously have some sort of common ground. Because as I said, I don't, I don't think it's always been the way in every every single dressing room. And I think at certain points, that sort of spirit that they've got will help them. Um, but to answer your question, Steve, I, I really don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's a really good piece. Um, check it out if you've not read it. So well done, Kiva, on that front. Um, thank you very much. That, that's the red agenda. We whizzed through it. Mo, the victory over Wofford, uh, Firmino, and that. Great piece we just talked about, Reunited. Thanks for listening to The Red Agenda. And, of course, it returns later this week. And what a hectic week it is. Of course, Atletico, Manchester United at the weekend. And we'll see you next time.